Hi, and welcome to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Chris Saroy, and this is the place to be to get unstuck, unleash your superpowers, and create a world that works for all. On this podcast, we speak to Mavericks who inspire us to get the insight and wisdom from their story to help you get the clarity, courage, and conviction that you need to make your mark on the world. This week, our guest is the wonderful Jenny Blake, speaker, career strategist, and author of the book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. Jenny is fascinated with the strategies that help people navigate change and pivot their career or business. She's helped thousands of people through her own work on working in career development at Google, and her motto is, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. This episode is not only full of practical advice on how to pivot towards your dream career, but Jenny's combination of warmth, generosity and groundedness make change seem not only doable, but absolutely downright desirable. So with that, let's jump right in. So hi Mavericks, it's Chris here and welcome to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. And as you know, one of the subjects we talk a lot about in Mavericks is that of the pivot. So this is the point where you might be going through a career transition, wanting to start a business, or indeed any other shift in life. And that might be the start of your 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 career and uh, your maverick journey, as it were. And I'm really pleased to say we have the the guru of the pivot on, on with us today. We have Jenny Blake, all the way from New York. Hi, Jenny. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Chris. I've never been called the guru of the pivot. That's a cool title. <laughs> well, I'll take it. It, 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 well, I mean, very much so. I mean, and, and for those of you that aren't in there, Jenny wrote a book called Pivot. The only move that matters is your next one. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, so Jenny, why don't you, I've, I've kind of called you the, 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 the guru of Pivot. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and kind of your background, as it were? Well, for the most part of my life, you could call me the guru of anxiety. <laughs> or the guru of, uh, when, when Malcolm Gladwell popularized the idea of 10,000 hours to mm-hmm. become great at something, I thought, what have I done for 10,000 hours? And I wrote a blog post called 10,000 Hours of Neuroses that like, <laughs> I just have lived in this most anxious. And I felt like I was having midlife, quarter-life crisis every few years. And I felt like, what? I'm only supposed to have this when I'm 50 or when I'm 25. Why does it keep happening? So that's really what I've been the guru of for as long as I can remember. And it's what motivated me to, to write Pivot and to study change and how we can get better at it. So, uh, and, and I have to say it worked. By, by working on Pivot, I, I had the motto, if change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. And I love that. Thank you. And now I feel so calm. I really do. I feel it's okay and and you all and everyone listening knows creative projects entrepreneurship nothing will teach you about yourself more than than doing those things and so yeah shortest version of my actual story worked at a startup for two years in silicon valley pivoted over Mm. to google for five and a half pivoted within google i almost quit and then a, a career development team was formed and i moved on to that and i did was coaching and training thousands of Googlers and managers and directors wow. around the world and built a drop-in coaching program that's still in place today, 10 years later. Awesome. And I left Google 2011 when my first book came out, and now I'm in New York City, and I've been here six and a half years. Okay, there it is. Now we're done with the boring stuff. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I love that. Working at Google, that must have been a little bit of a trip for you. It's a it's- it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, to be there as the company grew from 6,000 to 36,000 was just wow. this very rapid 
expansion time. And I feel lucky to have been there when it was still coming out of the startup B phase. Like I was not pre-IPO. Don't worry. I'm not filthy rich or anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I was there for a really formative time. And really being there five and a half years was the best MBA I could possibly ask for. And people ask me, do you regret leaving? And they've asked like two years into running my own business. I once again was wondering what's next. My bank account balance was practically at zero. Mm. And someone asked me, like, do you wish you were still at Google? And I said, not for one second of one day. So I never regretted the choice to leave, but I loved my time there. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so, so you've been running your own business and your first book came out in 2011. What's, what's life been like running your own business and being an entrepreneur out there? I never thought that I was cut out for it. For some reason, I had this idea that I was a good team player and rule follower, but Mm. I really love it. I really love how creative you, within six months of leaving Google, I felt so much freedom over how I spent my day and how much sleep I, you know, I stopped using an alarm. I haven't used an alarm unless I have a flight or something I really need to be at, Mm. but I don't use an alarm anymore. Something as simple as that. I just love the freedom to structure what I work on, how I work on it, who I serve, how I think about my projects. Like that has been so priceless. And the people I get to meet like you is just a dream. And yes, there is the challenge of navigating uncertainty. And, and for the first five years of running my business, I had no clue where my rent was going to come from even a month out. Like I just was not at that place yet where I had scalable recurring. Sometimes, you know, maybe I'd go for a stretch, but for the most part, it wasn't ever clear to me this thing is going to work. I would say after five years, I felt like, okay, phew. Okay. I made it five years. Now maybe I can, (laughs) now maybe it's going to work. (laughs) <laughs> fantastic fantastic well, well i'm sure you've got some fantastic uh coping strategies as it were for the uh for the the anxiety and neurosis you talked about earlier so we'll come back to that later but let's let's get into some of the the the, the pivot stuff so sure. so i mean i i i read read the book uh, kind of a couple of weeks ago and it's just jam-packed full of great stuff but let, let's kind of start off with the concept of a pivot because you know we, we talk about it a lot but what kind of you've helped lots of people go through pivots what kind of um pivots have you seen people go through well you said it it's really all kinds people are pivoting now more than ever by choice and by circumstance some people are choosing to change and then others are getting pivoted even if it's within your role at a company they're they're getting reorged or being put in a new role or with a new manager or they're launching a side hustle or they leave their business you know i've seen it all and i've seen people who try their hand at solopreneurship and then they go back to work in companies or or set up a consulting arrangement i also found that this isn't just limited to those wily millennials that can't stay put, which we often hear about in the media. <laughs> right. That pivoting really affects people at all ages, all stages, and all bank account balances. And mm. the, the message I'm so passionate about is that often we hear about pivots as plan B. And I firmly believe now that pivot is plan A in that it's, it's not a personal shortcoming that if you're at a pivot point and you feel like change is on the horizon, whether it's big or small, it's actually a sign that you're learning and growing and you want to make an even bigger impact. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. 
absolutely and I, th I think we we live in a world of just this there's probably more opportunity now than there ever has been isn't there so yes and we can see it now because of social media and globalization and we see we see what the possibilities are and what other people are doing and we get such a peek into people's lives so it really as you not uh, you know of course there's compare and despair if you get too immersed in what everyone else is yeah. doing but Otherwise, you can see examples of who, who do you admire, who's doing what you want to do, whose business model do you want to borrow, and you can just pull, and then, and then not to mention we have apps for everything. It's right. never been easier to run a business. As a, I, I, I love solopreneurship. I have no full-time employees, and I like it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think I... I think a lot of people would, would would agree with you on that. I was a solo entrepreneur until probably only a couple of years ago, and I have a couple of couple of business partners now. But we love just working, just the the three of us, kind of on a level, as it were. It's it's so much fun. Yeah, um, that's great. So so in terms of this opportunity and like kind of thing, what kind of things are you seeing um, out there? What kind of trends are you seeing that are kind of causing people to kind of consciously pivot, as it were? As you say, people can be pivoted, but if, they, yes. if they're constantly pivoting, what kind of trends are you seeing in terms of causing people to pivot? It's usually a sense that so I call the people that I wrote the book for, and certainly anyone listening to a, pod, a podcast like yours, Chris, I call them high net growth individuals. These are people for whom money is important, but it's not everything. And they're willing to take a pay cut, make a lateral move, bootstrap a business if it means that they will keep learning and growing and ultimately making an impact. So if you're high net growth, and I call them impactors for short, you'll naturally hit these pivot points more often. So you asked about what trends am I seeing? Well, this is a trend that people who are high net growth are not willing to stay put anymore. We used to stay put and make ourselves because of loyalty or um, the hope of the benefits and the golden handcuffs. But as companies started to also not promise as many perks or benefits or long-term career paths, everyone has sort of decoupled this idea that you have to stay put. And mm. it's important to note that I do not recommend that everybody just make these drastic career changes all the time right. certainly there are job hoppers out there however if you feel like you're hitting a plateau or, or even if not so many of the workshops that i give i give workshops in companies to entrepreneurs to people of all stripes mm. is just using pivot as a framework to map your next move so you can proactively think about pivoting not as a one-time event but as a continuous process you know, what's mm. working, what does success look like a year from now, what's out there in terms of people, skills, and projects, and then how can you pilot with small experiments to test the waters? And if you had that process running continuously, what's working? What can I double down on? What does success mm. look like? What's out there? What can I experiment with? Then the pivot points are not as sharp. They're not as jarring. Right, right. So it almost becomes like a golden thread, as it were, through a, through a longer-term narrative. Yeah, golden thread. And another trend that I'm seeing is not, uh, it's a much more fluid career mm. definition. It's not like, oh, someone's either full-time or an entrepreneur. I see so many hybrid arrangements now where somebody mm. might go from full-time with their company and downshift to part-time while working their own thing on the side, or they are doing their own thing on the side. Then they take on a consulting project and they're it's their primary source of revenue now for one client. Like there mm. is such a more fluid movement in and out of companies and how we work with companies and vice versa. 
I still work with Google to this day. They're still licensing. Awesome. They're, they're now licensing Pivot as a global career development training. Oh, and then amazing. they also, yeah, it came out of nowhere. We like could not have ever even dared to dream that that would happen. But that's a great example where even though I left Google, the pivot in there is that I, I didn't leave completely. We still work together to this day, just in a different context. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. And that's, um, that's amazing that you, you mentioned Google, but you also mentioned going to other organizations. You know, I, I, I would make the assumption that a lot of people would think, you know, pivoting is about individuals and maybe like pivoting out of jobs and out of organizations. But how are you finding companies are, or organizations that are embracing the concept of the pivot? I love when companies hire me and I, I kind of joke that, wow, they must've been really brave because <laughs> they're probably were a little worried. I'm going to get on stage and tell everyone to pivot right out of here. But I love that companies, the, what I do in companies is just helping people map their next moves, even within their role and pivot within their role or pivot internally before they think that their only option is to leave. And then I help managers have better career conversations. So I want everyone to be talking more and I want hitting pivot points. It doesn't have to be a crisis. And I felt like before pivot, there was no language to just say, Hey, I'm ready for more growth. But if you, if you can use pivot, it's kind of judgment neutral. So I really want employees and managers to be able to talk about, Hey, what's working and, and how do you want to learn and grow? And what opportunities can we scan for? And how could we give you a project so you can experiment even within your role without waiting for a promotion or waiting for a whole different full-time role to open up? Mm, mm. I, I, I love that. One of the concepts uh, that, that I heard you talk about when I was doing the research was kind of almost rather than thinking of a career as, as kind of a ladder, as it were, it's more like a, an app or like a, like a, a smartphone with, with different apps. Exactly. Um, like it, a, a smartphone, think of your career and your, your education and your upbringing as the base operating system. And then yeah. it's up to you to download apps for different skills, interests, education, and experiences. And it's very fluid. It's nonlinear. And this is important. Mm. There's no app competition. We're not looking at each other's phones saying who has a better phone set up than I do, but you can look at other people and say, Oh, Hey, Oh, you have that app. That looks cool. I want that. I'm learning, interestingly, learning Arabic because my current partner, Michael, is Lebanese. And right. he told me his ex-girlfriend learned Arabic when she was with him. And I thought, <gasps> what? Wow. And I had, I had this burning. I, had, I didn't care anything about her until I heard this. And I got jealous. <laughs> I was like, what? what is this jealousy in me? What on earth is going on? Why do I feel hot and bothered like, hearing this information? And I realized, oh, it's because I want to learn Arabic and I think that'd be cool. And I can't believe she even thought to do that, but I'm going to do it. And I started doing Pimsler and getting a tutor and all kinds of stuff. And That's I've been amazing. studying it almost all year, but I wouldn't have had the idea if I didn't first kind of have the jealousies over this <laughs> app that someone else had. That's brilliant. I love that. And, and, and something you talk about there is, is, is like the trigger for the pivot, right? Because I mean, that <laughs> learning a new language, okay, it's not, not a, like a big career pivot or anything, but it's still, it's still a shift in your life. So what kind of things are you seeing are triggering people? You talked about high, high net growth individuals earlier, but what is it that people are looking for when they're, um, when they're, when they're triggering a pivot, as it were? Well, I think even this example that of learning Arabic that doesn't seem like a career pivot, 
it's so important that we pursue things that we're curious about, even if you have no clue where it's going to lead. And, and, and not all pivots, again, not all pivots need to be these massive drastic things. I encourage people to say, what are you curious about? Where do you beeline when you go into a bookstore? What podcasts are you subscribed to? What is piling up in your Amazon wish list? And what do you have that pull of curiosity or that tinge of energy or excitement around? And it's so critical to pursue things as far as learning and growth that might have nothing to do with your career or business. And I found so many times you just have no clue where that's going to take you. Like, who knows? Maybe I could get hired for some speaking gig in the Middle East that all of a sudden everything I've been doing prepares me for that. And, and who knows, I'm not doing it with any expectation in mind, but so I would say that's one impetus is just, what Mm -hmm. are you curious about? And really, this is so key. The whole reason that we talk about apps and not the career ladder is I really big on the third stage of the pivot method. So it's plant scan pilot. Mm. Piloting is all about small experiments. So part of the impetus for a pivot is, is experimenting with something and then saying, Oh, I actually really like this thing. I want to do more of it. For example, podcasting is a great one. You and I both have podcasts. I have one too called pivot podcast. And when I first started, I had no clue what I was doing. I had no intro outro music. I was embarrassed. I had just my iPhone microphone and a year later, I taught myself GarageBand and I taught myself how to make that fancy intro and outro. And, and it just grew steadily over time to the point where now I'm heading into my fourth year and I freaking love this thing. It's like the number one passion of my, of my, I mean, uh, it's not the only, cause I, I, I say I love speaking to and working with companies, but yeah. in any case, I couldn't have seen that coming. So sometimes no. the impetus for a bigger pivot is that it starts small in a way that isn't as terrifying as contemplating the whole change up front. Got it. Got it. Got it. I, I, I love that. So you mentioned there the, 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 the four stage formula and that's kind of where I want to want to go to next because it's, it's kind of genius actually. Um, so say I'm someone who I'm in a, in a role, I'm kind of thinking about, I want to pivot and all that kind of thing. What, tell, tell us a little bit more about these, these four stages that you lay out in the book. It kind of starts, if you think of a basketball player, when they stop dribbling, one foot stays firmly planted. That's their foundation, their strength, mm. their stability. And the pivot foot can scan for passing options around the court. So that's where I got the concept for the stages and thank you I'm glad you find it helpful I kind of felt like we hear about pivoting a lot in the media like oh they needed to pivot or oh even uh, the lean startup is such a popular book and it's um, build measure learn is his framework and if that's Mm -hmm. not working you need to pivot but how so I wanted to unpack well what is the pivot how do you pivot what does that look like And so the first stage plant is about two things. What's working best? What are your strengths? Mm -hmm. And what does success look like one year from now? I think it's way too hard to plan any farther out because things are changing so quickly now. Right, right, right. What's working? Where do you want to end up? Now that sets the brackets for your pivot and you can start to close and bridge that gap by scanning. Scanning is for three things, people, skills, and projects. Mm. And then the third stage pilot is like passing the ball around the court. Where do you have the best chance to make a shot? It's small experiments you can do with 10 to 20% of your time that will help you answer the three E's. One, do I enjoy this new area? Two, can I become an expert at it? 
And three is a room to expand in your job, in the company, in your own business, in the marketplace. And you repeat plant scan pilot over and over. And eventually you might get to the fourth stage launch. That's kind of where you go all in. You make the shot. You quit your job. You move teams. You launch a new product or service in your business. And that's Mm. where hopefully you've reduced risk by following the pivot stages that precede it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. So one of the things I heard you you talk about there in in plant was uh, you talked about your strengths. So, and you know, we're big advocates of the kind of whole notion of positive psychology and strengths and that kind of thing. Why do you think it's important to, say, focus on your strengths rather than, say, trying to round out weaknesses or holes in your resume or that kind of stuff? It's so easy when pivoting to focus on what's not working, what you don't want, what you don't know, what you don't have. And, and you asked about impetus for change. Sometimes it starts because we are feeling like stuck, something isn't working. And it's easy to obsess over that, but ultimately that will not propel you forward. So what I found is it's so much more effective to say, what is working? Mm. What, are, what, ha- what have people hired me for in the past? What do I enjoy? When am I most in the zone? Who do I already know? You've got to start from where you are because otherwise mm. if you try to pivot too sharply, it's very intimidating or there's more risk involved or it just doesn't work. So whenever someone's kind of stuck in a pivot, I always tell them, go back, really study what is already working, what you've already got and what is your vision for success? Because those are the things that are going to help you build momentum. And when I was pivoting from life after college, my first book, mm. I, didn't, I knew I didn't want to talk about that the rest of my life, but I had no clue how to figure out what was ahead of me. And it only started to shift when I realized, oh, this change process has really thrown me for a loop. And how can I improve it? It seems inefficient. And I've read, at that point, I had read hundreds of business books and not one right. of them was getting me out of the pickle I was in. So I became determined to solve it and make this process more efficient. I think that changes, I mean, it's that, that, that whole thing is, I think it was Samuel Johnson who, who wrote the first dictionary. He said, you know, the only constant in life is death and taxes. Well, I think change, right. yeah, changes the, 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 the new constant, right? So as you say, if we're going to do it, we might as well get better at it. So right. What was it? Um, I mean, I imagine there was probably quite a lot of trial and error for you in there as you were kind of coming up with this. So how did you know that you had kind of come across the, for want of a better term, the golden formula as it were? <laughs> That's a great question. No one has ever asked me that actually. And, and it's been over a year since Yay! the book came out. So thank you, Chris. Love it. How did I know? Well, partly I started reverse engineering what had worked. I've now been coaching for almost 10 years and mm. I had worked with like I don't know dozens if not almost 50 one-on-one clients I had done training at Google I'd trained thousands of people at Google then I've now spoken to audiences of thousands since so I I, I, I did have a big database of things to study including my own career and right. it started with me I was kind of and I always tell creative this you are patient zero whatever you're going through observe it write it down because this is you have a front row seat to solve the things that challenge you and so partially I was really trying to distill what really works what really works and 
yeah, my coaching process used to be like seven or eight stages. And I thought that's too much to remember. Uh, how do I simplify it? And yeah, and it actually used to be, this is funny. I've never shared this ever publicly, but the stages used to be plant scan pilot leap. And as we were working on the book, my editor and I, my editor flagged it. She's like, but it's really not a leap by the time you get to that fourth stage. And, and we're not encouraging people to leap. And that's so true. So we changed it to launch because um, nothing about the pivot method is about leaps or blind leaps. It's not, it's very incremental and it's very methodical. So part of the refinement came only when we were in process, only as I was writing the book mm. did I realize, oh, okay. And even launch is this kind of ancillary stage. It's like the appendix uh, <laughs> of the method <laughs> because it's not even required. If you just had a mindset of plant scan pilot and you were constantly doing that, especially if you run your own business, you know, everything's an experiment. You're just always looking at what's working and, and finding new experiments and growing those experiments. And there doesn't have to necessarily be any launches to make that successful. Right, right, right. And that's when, that's when I guess you're in that place of, as you say, um, it being, you know, constantly pivoting, as it were, as opposed to these big, big uh, pivots, as it were. Exactly. If you, if you have continuous pilots running, then they start to show you which one. I, another metaphor I use is racehorses at the Kentucky Derby. Mm. You don't have to know which of your pilots is going to win. You just don't have to, nor can you. But your job is to line them all up at the starting gate, then release the gates and you say, go. And they will start to show you which ones pick up, which ones get momentum, which ones you really enjoy, where mm. serendipity is kind of rolling out a red carpet for you. And if you're doing that continuously, there's just less pressure on any one launch moment. Mm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I want I want to come back to the experiments in a moment and, and that stage, but I want to I want to take us back to the the scan stage if I can. So you were you were talk, talking about scanning for and I think I think you said people, projects, and was it skills? Skills. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So t talk to me about the 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 people aspect of that. I mean, I'm assuming we're talking about people who can act as mentors or um, advisors, that kind of thing, bu building the network. What kind of, what, what do you advise in terms of recruiting outside help as it were? Well, only after really spending time with the plant stage, which is the most important of all of them. Once mm. you understand what your strengths are and what your one year vision is, like how you want to learn and grow, what does success look like a year from now? How much do you want to earn? What do you want to become an expert at? What kind of impact do you want to have? Then mm. when you scan for people, you can ask yourself, well, who's doing those things? Who do I admire? Who can I connect with that is like a mentor? Who can I connect with that's a friend tour where you offer each other equal value and you don't oh, have to that. just rely on mentors. Yeah. And I recommend setting up 30 thirties. Hey, can, I would love to connect. Can I help you rain somewhere something for 30 minutes? And I would love your input on something for 30 minutes. So that's kind of a way I like to. I love that. That's great. Up. Yeah. And, and then who can I learn from, from afar? For example, I, I use this one often. I'm going to have to switch up my rotation of mentors from afar. <laughs> but like Tim Ferriss and I are BFFs. He just doesn't know it yet. You know, right. <laughs> makes me sound a little crazy, but like I, I learned so much by just watching his career moves and I don't, 
I don't want to be one of a thousand people reaching out and saying, Hey, Tim, can I pick your brain over coffee? Like, absolutely not. I would rather try and be interesting myself. Trust that if, and I've met him, we've had lunch with the group when he came to go, but you know, maybe someday Tim's going to reach out to me and say, Hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. If not, that's fine. I don't ever need to have a one-on-one relationship with him in order to learn from his process, his methods, his tools. I think I buy something new every week off of his five bullet Fridays. So it's like, if Tim recommends it, like we joke in my households, like we have Timmy's toothpaste. We have like (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Yep. 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 So, and there's so much we can learn now from podcasts like this one. So, cause I think sometimes people feel bad if they don't have a mentor and it's Mm. just not necessary to have one Holy grail mentor anymore. No, as, as you said earlier, there's so much available, isn't there? That, um, you, you can research virtually everything. I mean, I, I was seeing something the other day about some, some young girl who I think she, she broke the world record of like domino rally or something like that. And she learned how to, how to do domino rally from YouTube. Um, wow. It was pre- pretty mad. Like so, some young girl in the Philippines, I think it was. And uh, yeah, amazing what, what we can, what we can learn. So let, let, let's kind of move on to that third stage then of, uh, of the, uh, the, the method as it were when we're when we're into um kind of experimenting as well and i'm really really um intrigued by this notion of experiments as it were what kind of when when people are kind of scanning for projects or that kind of thing what should they be looking for in terms of thinking that's a that's a good potential experiment to do and or versus "Mm, maybe that's not such a great experiment to jump into Great question. Great question, Chris. You're just, just on it. I love it. Uh, okay. One thing is people tend to make the mistake of thinking too big, actually, when it comes to their career. Mm. I'm not saying don't dream big, but if your next steps are too big, they're going to be intimidating and you're not going to do anything. So one mistake about piloting is not doing it at all. It's, it's kind of saying, oh, I need to decide my whole career next move up front. That's not what I recommend. So try and break it down into something that's very manageable that you're actually excited. So can you take on one project at work? For example, when I first got to Google, I created an office book club and I got Mm. budget approval to buy us all a business book every month. And sometimes I would even host the author. And this was a dream. And I was not planning on becoming Google's chief books officer, you know, but I just did this thing and I enjoyed it. And then five years later, when they needed someone to help transition the authors at Google team, I did it. And it's not because I had a book club, but I didn't wait until these opportunities arose. I started really small with things that I enjoyed. Right, right, right. So that's one. And then the second key is try and understand, is this pilot? Well, another mistake is anything you pilot because you should, that's never really a good thing or anything that you're doing because out of avoiding fear or avoiding something, that's not going to be that productive. And then the last, I would say, you really want to try and understand, is this pilot going to give me more information about those three E's? Do I enjoy it? Can I become an expert at it? Is there room to expand? So that's, mm. that's really what I would look for. And career pilots can be for example, signing up for an info session. I remember I attended an info session uh, for coach training 
And mm. I loved it. I was so into it. I, I just couldn't believe there was a profession that was based <laughs> on the books that I loved reading. And so from right then, I signed up for the full Monty, the full coaching, coach training and certification. And that was an example of a pilot where what's just the one next step you can do to get more information. Mm, mm, I love that. I love that. As you can see, see, I'm, there's, there's a lot of stuff I love at the moment that we're talking about. Um, so let, let's kind of t take this a, a little further because I'm kind of, uh, and see if we can make this kind of a, a little tangible as it were. Because I know a lot of the people that we work with, a lot of mavericks are kind of people who are maybe in careers, they're maybe in roles and they're kind of thinking, actually, I'd really like to start my own business. I'd really like to, uh, you know, I love this idea of being my own boss and all that kind of stuff. What kind of, across the, the people you've coached and the people you've worked with, what kind of experiments have you seen for, for people who might be in that kind of situation? If someone's working in a company, yeah, it, it might seem like it's harder to pilot, but I've seen so many people be very successful by starting with a small project and then it later expands and they, they're then very well positioned to make it a full-time role. So some pilots you could do within a company are, let's go with some of the simple ones, job shadowing, shadow someone for a day, a rotation mm. program, if your company offers that, attending training courses within the company, working from another location. So maybe you don't even ask, hey, you know, I was in Mountain View. Can you, can you move me to New York? Maybe not, they're not going to say yes, but hey, can I go work out of the New York office for a month? And here's the business mm. case for that. I was just coaching someone on that exact pilot. Um, and how do you make a case? What's out in New York? Well, how can you justify that and have it be a win-win? Another example is um, pitching in. So maybe you're piloting the program I created, Career Guru. Managers and directors donate 10% of their time to doing career coaching. Well, maybe a, a senior level engineering director doesn't want to be a coach full time, but he does love mentoring. So he's going to pilot by signing up for a program. There's also a program called oh. Google, Googlers to Googlers. So maybe you're signing up to teach a course on something you really love, but you don't want to be a trainer full time. Mm. My friend Seth created a program where he wanted all Googlers to volunteer on the same day of the year. And over time it grew so much that he started to get 20% time approval where they actually took projects off his plate. Every time Google serve would come around, he was having mm -hmm. 15,000 people around the world participating. It was a full week. Wow. And later, a couple years after that, Seth pitched a full-time role managing Google's volunteer outreach and he got it. And now he has a team of 10 people and this is his full-time job. That's amazing. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, I know it sounds like, oh, well, that's Google. But I hear this at companies all over the place, people who yeah. craft and create their own roles. And when I went to coach training during my time at Google, there was no career development team. It's not like I thought, oh, this coach training is going to help me land this job I want. No, there wasn't even a team for it, let alone a role. But later when one opened up, I was well positioned to move on to it. Mm, 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 mm. And I, and I think you're right. What I'm, what I'm kind of hearing here is, and it is kind of, and I think it's grounded in starting where you are and kind of building from there is that kind of the courage that builds um, as you're, as you're trying this, this stuff out. And one of, one of the phrases you use in the book, and I think it's actually one of the, the chat titles is build first courage later. Yeah. Which I just love. So can you, can you tell us a bit more about that? 
Thank you. That's one of my personal mottos because sometimes we wait to feel courageous before we take the next steps and change. And I've, I've always found that it's only by building first, taking small steps first, then I start to feel more courageous. And someone asked me, I gave a keynote the other day and she said, well, what do we do if we feel afraid? What do you do with that fear? How do you make it go away? And I said, you don't, you don't have to make your fear go away. That never worked for me to try and not have any fear. Are you kidding? So instead embrace the fact that you feel afraid and insecure and anxious and unsure. It's okay. You can very well expect to feel those things. If the thing you're pursuing is challenging you and stretching you, and that's a good thing. So keep going and keep going. And you'll see as you are just in action mode, one tiny step at a time, then momentum will build and courage will follow. Mm, mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to kind of pivot, if I may. Um, just, Love it. Just, just from that to thinking about, um, you, you actually anticipated my next question, which was around people who are kind of feeling fear around a pivot. But, you know, in, in particular, you know, we often kind of hear from people, you know, we work a lot with people who are mid-career, you know, they're in, they're in a situation where they have a, a family to support, that kind of thing. You know, maybe they're in golden handcuffs, as it were. You know, so money is money is a problem, or it could be, or it's a perceived issue. Or even you, you find kind of people who have been laid off, so they have that kind of urgency, as it were. What would you say to people around kind of pivoting when there is that there is kind of maybe a negative start to the pivot, as it were? Well, let's say money is a factor, so it doesn't have to be a problem. Everyone, no, I mean, unless you're a gazillionaire, money is a consideration when pivoting. And unless someone's independently wealthy, and even then people who are super successful, it's not always easy to kind of reinvent themselves. But alas, let's go to this great spectrum that you outlined. So on one hand, we have someone who's been laid off and kind of often you have this feeling you're just being knocked on your rear end, like, oh my God, what just happened? Yeah. All the way to someone who's in a golden handcuff situation with with a family and they're the primary breadwinner so in the case where someone gets laid off there's often shock associated and you're just shocked and grieving and processing or in some cases whoa i didn't see that coming but i'm glad it did or i needed that or i wanted to leave anyway and i didn't have the courage so once you've processed that it happened because that's more reacting Mm. at first then you can get practical the person with the golden handcuffs Money is also consideration. So in both cases, you're going to look and see, what is my pivot runway? How much money do I have to fund this pivot? And if it's $0, then you have different choices. For example, the person who's been laid off may have to go get a job, any job, the next Mm. week, no matter what it is, just to pay the rent, or they lean on some consulting skills. One time, this is about 10 years ago, I posted, I I wanted some extra money. So I posted three ads on Craigslist, one for babysitting, one for home organizing, and one okay. for HTML and CSS tutoring for small business owners. Wow. And I call it uh, Craigslist as extra income dartboard. I had no clue what people would want to hire me for. <laughs> so I just posted all three. And sure enough, people started coming in for the HTML tutoring. So I started having a steady stream of clients for that from around the country. And I dropped the other two but I was willing to babysit and 
so it kind of depends. What are your strengths? And, uh, and so you might need a bridge income. Bridge income is the income that helps you build the bridge from where you are now to where you want to go. Mm, mm, and right. the person who was laid off needs that probably more urgently. The person with golden handcuffs, it's about how much savings runway can you save? What's your burn rate? How much does it cost to support your family? And how can you transition more steadily? How, what would be your recurring cash flow if you were to quit? I have some people who've quit their full-time job, but pitched to their company, hey, but keep me on as a consultant somehow. Or mm. they downshifted to part-time or they waited until they had another job lined up. So there are many ways to go about it. And it depends on that person's risk threshold. And it really depends on what kind of platform you've got. Like if, if you're going to, for me, I kind of did take a riskier approach because I didn't have the pivot method at this time. Right. But when I quit Google, I was earning $0 from my side hustle, but I had a platform and I had a book. So that helped me start landing clients. Whereas if someone's going to quit their job and just hope for the best without any platform, <laughs> that's a different kind of scenario. Right, 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 right. That's thank you. That was a really elegant way of going of, of, of commenting on the whole spectrum as it were. Um, and let me just say too, if you're running your own business, there's no paycheck funding the exploration of what's next. So even within my own business, I need a cash flow cow. What's the thing that, so for example, one-on-one -on -one coaching or my private community called Momentum, that's for side hustlers and solopreneurs. That's mm. a good example. Steady recurring revenue because people subscribe on a quarterly basis. Whereas speaking is lucrative, but I have no clue what's going to come in and when. And then it's, so I can't rely on that necessarily to pay the rent. I mean, now I'm getting more inquiries that the book is out, but something like Momentum or one-on-one -on -one coaching where I have clients on retainer, that's more consistent. So it's important yes. to diversify and have both, whether you're employed or not. So, so what I love about this, Jenny, is you have, throughout all of this, it, it does feel like there is this, as you say, it's not a leap that you, that you, get, you get to because you're building each time. It's, I'm kind of hearing that theme of reducing risk each time, which I think... Um, us Brits tend to probably be more risk averse <laughs> than, than the Americans as it were. So I think that's a really, really wonderful message as it were. Yeah. And what, what's so interesting because I'm with someone who's not American, he has highlighted how Americans have this kind of default setting of you can do anything, which is like, he says, he's like, <laughs> Whoa, it's so bizarre that you guys just like really believe like, wow, I can do anything. And, um, and you know, for better or for worse, and we're also very focused on work. So I don't know how it is in the UK, but um, not, you know, within that, it's sometimes it's just our own belief system of, well, I can't do that, or that wouldn't work out because, and if you're going to have those fear-based or kind of sh shoot them down thoughts, also counter it. So when I was leaving Google, I thought, what if I end up in a van down by the river? <laughs> and then I started to make myself also ask, what if I earn twice as much in half the time? And I always right. held the candle for that. And now that's true. I'm probably earning four times as much in a fourth of the time, but it took a while to get here. But I always made sure that whatever fears I had, it's okay. But what's the opposite of that? And how do you, how do you hold both? That's, that's actually a really great tip because very often I mean, we, we know from neuroscience that the brain has a negativity bias, 
but actually holding the opposite to be potentially true it just it, it's kind of a bit of a pattern interrupt isn't it which is yeah and and to come full circle on being neurotic uh, humans evolved to be anxious because if you were just chilling on the savanna and you weren't nervous about anything and sort of vigilant about predators you'd be dead so yeah. we, this is evolutionary that we're a little, a little anxious and a little more fear-based and it, it was a survival instinct so so it's okay but there are strategies to, to just chill out a little and ultimately we're more creative when we're more i believe when we're more relaxed uh, I, I couldn't agree more to be honest um one one thing um that i, I was once told by a by an old boss was a uh, the notion of actually it's not the next job that's important it's the job after that so i'm just wondering and i, th I think we've, we've probably talked about it in different ways but the notion of um a strategic pivot as it were so where you might be looking um maybe beyond that that one year to the versus a, a tactical pivot where you're literally looking at the next thing you're going to do i really love that your mentor said that and i would say yes and so I do share in the book, I call it the leapfrog approach, where maybe you know what you want to moves out. Like, I really know that someday I want to work for myself. But so, for example, one of my clients was in finance operations. She knew she wanted to be self-employed someday mm. and work with people as a coach. So maybe her first pivot was working, going from finance ops to people operations within her company, then pivoting from people operations to self-employment. So that would be kind of a leapfrog. You know what you want to moves out. But I don't believe that what really matters is the one two moves out unless you're clear on that, unless you need mm. a couple pivots to get where you want to go because you're not always ready for that two-year out vision. So in the case, so for example, graduate school is a great intermediary pivot. Mm. You're not going to be a grad student for life. It's helping you get to the next place after that. Right. But for some people... Uh, it's like you just, it just depends if you need it or not. Because for some people, let's say within the scope of uh, solopreneurship or some, or running your own business, for me, this is the container that I love. I've, I've no need to have two moves out. Like, there's no way I could know even my next book, let alone the one after that. It's, there's mm. no way I can barely even think about a next book, but, <laughs> but I know that the one that I have now, I can keep pivoting within this container that I'm in. Um, and I just don't think we have to know two moves out unless you do. I, I love that. And to be, to be fair, that was said to me probably eight, nine, 10 years ago. And the world has changed even within that time, I think. So, um, <laughs> Very true. Really, yeah, indeed. So I know just, just a, a, aware of, um, time as it were. So I just want to kind of bring the focus, um, kind of to, to back to you if i may because you have launched you've gone past that fourth stage as it were and and i know you're kind of constantly in that round of the the, the plant scan and um the 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 uh, experimenting phase as it were. but i'm just kind of curious for you in terms of running your business now and kind of doing what you do um what have been some what's been the the maybe the biggest obstacle you face being out as an entrepreneur um, as you, as you've done this and how did you overcome that? I think the biggest obstacle, which can become, of course, a big strength is the uncertainty of just, even once the book launched last year, I still had, 
I always have this sense of, well, who knows how long it's going to last, like the momentum. <laughs> is it just because the book just came out or what's it going to be like a year from now? Is the interest going to die down or is it going to keep going? I have no, I, no way to know. So there is actually Nassim Taleb put it very well. He said, he said basically like, if you're a middle manager in an investment bank, you're, you're feel pretty secure day to day, let's say, and maybe this is even old at this point, but if you're a taxi driver or a prostitute, he's like, <laughs> you're a little more anxious every day, but as soon as you stop getting clients to that neighborhood, you know, you have to change. So you're always changing as you go because, because you're like, right. You know, you just see it happening as it is. So you're a little more anxious overall, but you're not really caught off guard. Everyone doesn't just vacate that neighborhood to call taxis overnight. Whereas the, the manager could be fired overnight, let's say. Mm. And so as an entrepreneur, I think that feeling of dealing with uncertainty, it's probably a little more that's on our conscious awareness, mm. but, but no one thing could surprise me that much. Cause I have so many different elements, unless I were to like, I don't know, God forbid, become disabled or like, here's hoping that doesn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, but you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, but who knows? Life is so unpredictable. We have no clue. It's like, we're just lucky to be alive today. And that's why I really try to have a gratitude and a mindfulness practice and be so grateful for what I have now. And I share that in the new afterward to the book that my friend, Mitch Joel, he said, well, maybe we shouldn't be so focused on what's next and just enjoy what's now. And that's kind of the paradox of pivoting that I really do believe in. Mm, mm, I love that. That's that, that's so, such a wonderful piece of, of of wisdom, as it were. Just coming coming from that, I mean, you mentioned earlier about not kind of using an alarm clock anymore, and I I, I know that you're quite a, a yoga person as well. What kind of routines and practices and habits do you have now to kind of keep yourself on track, keep yourself moving forwards, staying positive, as it were, and kind of dealing with some of that uncertainty i really do believe that physical wellness is crucial to everything else to creativity strategy leadership so yeah i prioritize sleep i in the mornings i read with tea for a couple hours meditate work on strategic work before i ever dive into email um i try to block calls only a certain chunk of the day only certain days of the week I don't check email. I leave in the afternoon or early evening to go to a yoga class or some kind of exercise. And I don't respond to email after that. If I look at it, that's, I even try not to do that. And then just unwind in the evening. So it's really important to me to have boundaries around my work and what I do mm. and trust that, that working in that manner will actually have me be more productive and creative and happy in the long run love that and that's that's a message that i think many many of us could uh, could take uh a lot of value from as it were um just just kind of thinking about inspiration as it were because i think a lot of this is about you know as, as we say we're looking for more purpose more um more meaning more inspiration living a more engaged life as it were what well who is who are some of your inspirations who are some of your pivot heroes as it were well, you recently interviewed Michael Bungay-Stanier. He's one of my favorite people. I really love the writing, the works of Martha Beck, Byron I Katie. Love her. Yeah, and Tosha Silver. They're, those are three 
authors who've really, oh, and Gary Zukav wrote a book called Seed of the Soul. So all that. of these take kind of a, both a spiritual and pragmatic approach to just shifting your my thinking and just how I view the world and how I go about things. And so those, those authors, I've read every book that they've ever written, most of them twice or three times. Oh. It, it, it's so funny actually you mentioned a couple of i was literally on vacation a couple of weeks ago and i just read um martha beck's latest book um diana uh, oh, cool. awakening was and the one that took me to straight straight after that was tosha silver's change me and i'd never come across her oh, before oh so. very interesting Absolutely. yeah if you haven't then definitely check out finding your own north star and tosha silver's outrageous openness Okay, I, I, I will do that. I love Martha Bet Bass. There's, there, there's a little serendipity for you. Uh, I love which, it. Which, awesome. Which, which I love. Um, last question, if I, if I may, Jenny, um, because I think we've, we've got some amazing content here. Um, this is always the question where people kind of take a moment to, to say, I, I wasn't expecting this, and it's the exact reason why I do it. What is the one question that, um, that I didn't ask you? that you would like to be asked? And what would your answer be? Mm. How do you fall asleep when you're having trouble sleeping? And ah. so I'll share, I'll share my evening wind down in case this is helpful for anyone listening. Cause I think it's a cool way to close out the day when your head's on the pillow. So I, not always, but sometimes if I need to like chill, yeah. <laughs> I run through these five questions. What was the highlight of my day? What was the low point of my day? What's a win or a victory, something I want to celebrate? What's one thing I'm grateful for? And what's one unanswered question that I want to queue up? I was just like, I don't need to know the answer right now, but it's on my mind. I love that. And I think that's funny enough. I'm going to take that because I've been having some trouble sleeping recently. So oh, well, let me know how it goes. I absolutely will do. I absolutely will do. Jenny Blake, thank you so much for your time today. There has been so many amazing pointers there, tips, um, just loads of great content. I'm so grateful for you spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. It's really been such a pleasure to talk with you. I loved all your questions and big thanks to everybody who's here listening. Okay, thank you very much. And Mavericks, we'll see you on the next podcast. And uh, bye for now. Hey, listen up, don't go yet. Did you get something meaningful out of this episode? Well, the most meaningful thing that you can do right now is to go and leave a review on iTunes because those reviews are what keep us here. And please make sure to share and to subscribe to this podcast. Finally, are you unleashing your superpowers? Well, if so, show us on Instagram with the hashtag Mavericks Unlimited and we'll see you over there. And with that, thanks so much for listening to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast at mavericksunlimited.com. Bye for now.